up, we thought food was only something that could be enjoyed. And really, there's nothing wrong with that. But here's the thing. So much of life happens in the kitchen. It's a place to gather, to laugh, to burn your meatloaf while the kids do their homework at the kitchen island. So if life is happening in the kitchen, that's where we want to be. It doesn't have to be so hard. We can be great dads and great cooks. This show is about us trying to figure it all out. I'm Chris. And I'm Phil. Welcome to Dad's Kitchen. Phil. Christopher. Hey. Good day. What's up? Uh, Good evening. Good evening. Yeah. It's been a pretty fun evening for me because I've been uh, setting up, well, really my wife has been setting up a birthday party for my youngest daughter. She turns five tomorrow. So not so much a party like, yeah, just like a, you know, a family get together. With the immediate family, just yeah. us. It's going to be great. Uh, what Like, what all is she doing? So she loves turtles and dolphins. We go to the aquarium about every other day. So it's kind of like a celebration, <laughs> if you will. Okay. <laughs> dolphins don't have shells, Phil. I, I can That's be the true. one to break it to her if you she, want. She wants to be the quarterback of the dolphins. And okay. it's amazing. Yeah. Well, by the time she's old enough, things may have changed in our world, Phil. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> she can be the first. She can she can break some ground. She she does like breaking things in a good so, way or a bad way. Anyways, yeah, no, the best <laughs> like ceilings. Yeah. yeah, they're the best to break. Love yep. breaking yep. ceilings. Yep. Yep. Okay, so how how high might those ceilings that she is looking to break be, Phil? And like I'm I'm assuming we're talking of the glass kind. Absolutely, super high, Chris. Super high. Like not not like. Like the short kind, but the high kind. You might, but the high kind, yeah. You know, the high, like, like, like the high ball kind, maybe. <laughs> oh, the high ball kind. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's actually kind of funny. There's a one of one of the origin stories in the high ball. You know, because people already have seen the title of this episode, so they actually really do know what we're going to talk about. Even though, like, have they? Maybe I don't know. Maybe they don't look at the episode title. Maybe they wait till the very end so that they don't spoil it for themselves. Well, I'm just thinking if someone says. Hey Siri, play the latest episode of Dad's Kitchen. Oh. Well, how many people actually do that? I'd be curious, legitimately. Sorry, Siri just jumped in. <laughs> I don't know if that picked up on the mic, but probably. <laughs> so, one of the many origin stories to the highball, like the whiskey highball cocktail, and the highball glass that comes from it, is actually Tommy Dewar's from the the Dewar's blended scotch. Yeah. Uh, he uh-huh. he said that he was out in town with some friends, and one of his friends said that he wanted to have a ball that night. And they were in a bar. They started ordering some drinks, and really they were ordering like a scotch and soda. And the, the bartender brought it out in like a, a glass that he thought was like way too small for the night. They, they wanted to have a good time. Mm. And he, he told yeah. them, we, we want to have a ball tonight, so let's, let's make it a high ball. And... Like he wanted a taller glass, a bigger glass, not a short rocks glass. That was one of the stories as to where the highball came from. Apocryphal as that may be, that's a pretty good story. And like so many of our other cocktails, you know, the history isn't like definitive. Sure. Another one was this guy named Patrick Duffy, who his was his was kind of weird. He wrote into the New York Times to say that the bar in Boston that was claiming to have invented the highball didn't because he did. And then he later wrote <laughs> in a book that there was an article in the New York Times that confirmed that he was the creator of the highball, but it was his op-ed that he, you know, 
wrote in. When was the op-ed published? Was it like after the... It was, uh, maybe that's a great question, Phil. The, the, the highball as a term actually really didn't come about until like the late 1800s. So that's about when he was kind of doing his thing like late, uh, kind of like the 1880s, I would say. But actually the first written account of the word highball was in an 1894 play by the name of My Friend from India. Hmm. I can't say I've seen it. Yeah, never either. But that's kind of the the, the the time frame that we're talking about when we're talking about a highball. So, Phil, uh, what do you think of when you think of a highball, like a whiskey highball? That, that'd be like our, maybe our most sure. classic. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is actually the glassware. And I think of probably a scotch and soda would be like the first thing that comes to yeah. mind when it comes to a highball. And I, I don't, I, I guess like we can be, this is a safe place. We can be honest with one another. I don't love them. I don't think they're really all that great. There are there are derivatives of it, though, that I do love. Yes. And I'm sure we'll get into those here in a few moments. But yeah, like first thing that comes to mind is the scotch and yeah. soda. And uh, yeah, meh, meh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, stepping back a little bit, you know, in our cocktail series, which is, this is obviously like uh, another episode in, you know, it started with Embry, David Embry. And his, yeah. the, the fine art of mixing drinks. And love him. We have actually covered four drinks that are in his compendium so far. And we have also... Yeah, I believe that yeah, is correct. We've also talked about the Cocktail Codex by Death & Co., by, by the Death & Co. creators. Yep. And so far, the four drinks that we've talked about, the Old Fashioned, the Martini, the Sidecar, and the, the daiquiri. daiquiri are all overlaps between those two books. So obviously, Embry came way before Death & Co. That book came out just like in the past three years. Or four years. Sure. And there's been a lot of kind of thought and expansion to the cocktail world since Embry. I think in terms of like our, our prototypical cocktails, maybe like sticking with the, the cocktail codex is not a bad place to be for today. So that's where the highball comes in. And you're, you're totally correct. Mm -hmm. The highball really is like the it's it's kind of almost defined by the glassware to some extent so it's it's a, a taller glass not like a rocks glass not like a pint glass like typically narrower than a pint glass and as you said a scotch and soda kind of really is where it all started in terms of like the drink itself the, the scotch and soda didn't necessarily start in the the same presentation or the same ratios or the same style that our current whiskey highball takes. You know, it actually started, like most things in Europe, like most good things in Europe, kind of early 19th century London, there was this new thing that people had, fizzy water, carbonated water, seltzer, that was kind of the big fad. And they started mixing it with the drink of the day, which was brandy. At the time, ice wasn't like really this thing that they did super well. I'm just thinking about what is that stupid movie with Will Ferrell? The race car movie. Talladega Nights? Yeah, Talladega Nights with the, the with the French driver, Perrier. Yes. Just thinking of his character. It's so dumb. <laughs> okay, well, we'll keep him in mind when, when we're thinking of brandy, Phil. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, like the brandy, brandy and soda was the drink of the day. No ice, but brandy and soda. And a little guy named Napoleon came in and kind of changed that up a little bit. Uh, the Napoleonic Wars really brought a shortage of brandy to England. So Napoleon wasn't there to change it up. He just... He was just little. Sparked change because of the war. Yes. Which maybe... Okay. Maybe, okay. maybe we have Napoleon to thank for the current status 
of scotch because it was at that time hmm. when brandy was unavailable that England, they kind of had this like a slightly new found due to some other political goings on appreciation of all things Scottish and the Scottish life. And without brandy, they kind of switched to scotch whiskey. Then, you know, that, that was kind of like a, a little bit of a temporary switch due to the wars that were going on in the early 19th century. By the late 1800s, like 1880 or so, there was a plague that decimated the vineyards in France. So brandy just like wasn't a thing that was going to be happening for a while. And Scotch's place in the imbibing lifestyle of England was <laughs> absolutely cemented. So that brandy and soda turned into a scotch and soda pretty quick. No kidding. Wow. Yeah. Aren't you the revisionist history? So we get to the U.S. in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and the term highball comes in. It's it's really kind of taking this English scotch and soda and putting it in a specific type of glass with some slightly different ratios and chilling it with some ice. At, at this point, we kind of start to get what is maybe like our prototypical whiskey highball. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. like the scotch and soda is not really a whiskey highball. I mean, because obviously like you're using a specific kind of whiskey with the scotch and soda. But yeah, the whiskey highball is what we would think of here in the U.S. as the first example of that. But you just dispelled all of that by walking us through the Napoleonic Wars. Yeah, so if, if we're thinking of like a prototypical whiskey highball, like super classic, it would be in a highball glass, two ounces of scotch, something like six ounces of seltzer water, some ice, and maybe like a lemon wedge. Yeah. Or could it just be a twist? Sure. But the I think the key thing is that you have a whiskey and that whiskey is taking all of your flavoring components. You know, we've talked about our, our base component, our spice component, and our balancing component. And the flavoring components here, the, the base and the spice, that's all coming from the whiskey. And the seltzer in in this case is that balance. It's helping helping balance it out, uh, make it like a little bit more palatable, maybe a little bit more f refreshing. Sure. I mean, really, it just tastes like a watered down whiskey. Yeah, which is interesting at times. Kind of what it yeah, is. It, it definitely can be. Yeah, it it is refreshing. I mean, it's a great summery drink. The seltzer definitely gives it a nice lift. Yeah. You know, if it's ninety degrees outside, which it is ninety months out of the year here. Is that a thing? Yeah, probably. Maybe. It's, uh, yeah, it's just like a, a really good way to enjoy a cocktail without feeling so heavy afterward. Yeah. No, absolutely. There's there's something about that effervescence that really is refreshing when, when you have like a, a carbonated water with ice. You can't beat that in the summer. It is a watered down whiskey flavor profile, but in some in some cases it's kind of interesting in the way that it helps spread those flavors out. It widens them. If we're talking about ingredients, because you have such few ingredients in this in this cocktail, this is a place for potentially like a little bit better of a whiskey. So, I mean, you can absolutely throw in like some jack or something. I made one tonight with a bullet yeah. and it, it wasn't bad. You know, I would make it yeah. again. Again, and this is coming from someone that doesn't even really like them. So yeah, I think the, the whiskey definitely plays a pretty important role. It's going to play a huge role because it is, like we said, it's the flavor and the spice. It's kind of all that there is. So oftentimes if, if say you're drinking whiskey neat, you can either just drink it straight or you can put a couple drops of water in there and that helps open it up a bit. Sometimes people will order like a, a scotch or a whiskey with a water back. So it's like a 
side glass of water. So you can take a sip of the whiskey, take a drink of the water, and that helps kind of expand those flavors. And it's something that you almost kind of have to experience it. As you said, maybe waters it down a little bit, but in that, it makes them not as intense. And by spreading them out over your palate, it allows you to kind of pick up on the nuances of, of these different flavors a little bit better, I think. When you have such like a front and center role that the whiskey is taking, it's not a bad idea to try something maybe a little bit better. It doesn't, you don't have to go crazy, but you can. I, I think a lot of mixed drinks don't necessarily benefit from super, super high end liquors. But this one is sure. one that might, like you can, you can make a really, really nice whiskey highball with like a Japanese whiskey, something delicate or, or a single malt scotch. No, I totally agree with you on that one. I can think of a time when I went out for old fashions with some friends and we got this wild hair that made us want to order it with Angel's Envy. And they ended up being like $21 <laughs> each. That was a mistake because like you just are not going to really yeah. notice the difference on that. And so with that in mind, I think the next time I order a highball, I might consider doing an Angel's Envy because it's one of my favorite ryes out there and one of my favorite bourbons as well. So, okay, the, the whiskey highball, it's not that popular of a drink in and of itself. The scotch and soda, okay, you know, the... The, the drink can turn into other things when you when you have your base, you have your balance and, and all that fun stuff. And it's transitioning into other cocktails. I actually think the whiskey highball turns into maybe one of the more popular drinks in American culture. Something, I guess, as simple as like a Jack and Coke. Yeah, no, absolutely. Which I'm not claiming. Listen, I'm not claiming the Jack and Coke for my myself, but a lot of people do. No, absolutely. And I, I guess maybe the essence of a highball is... Like you have a bit of base and then you have a lot of mixer of some sort of a, of a non-alcoholic yeah. mixer. So in that prototypical recipe or spec, we had two ounces of a scotch and then a whole entire six ounces of seltzer. And you're absolutely right. So like a, a Jack and Coke definitely follows that. Things like a, a Cuba Libre or like a rum and Coke right there with it. I think there are also some other just fantastic classics that fall into this same category. Such as? Bloody Mary? I don't know. Yeah, think about it. You have two ounces of Mind. vodka, you have a lot of tomato it juice, might. and you have a lemon wedge and a celery stock. Yeah, I think it can be argued. Yeah. And in that, you're almost kind of flipping it a little bit. Like the vodka isn't bringing a lot of flavor. It's like the the tomato juice that's yeah, really imparting a lot of flavor. But I'm not, I'm not saying that you're totally wrong. The first thing that comes to mind, Phil, is the gin and tonic. Yeah, the gin and tonic. It's actually quite possibly my favorite cocktail ever. It's a fantastic, again, refreshing cocktail, Super, but super simple. You know, typically with a, a gin and tonic, you're looking at like a two to one ratio, usually between your, your uh, tonic and your gin. So it could be like two ounces of gin to four ounces of tonic. But that's one thing that you can like play with a ton. Like there's there's a lot of a lot of room there. Three ounces of gin to a quarter ounce of tonic. But that's fine. That's fine, Phil. It's still a gin and tonic. Or you can flip it completely and do what I did. Uh, one time I was at a bar in the Denver International Airport and I ordered a gin and tonic and the bartender made it really strong and I wasn't having it. I just wasn't in the mood for a bunch of gin that day. It may or may not have been the morning and I just I just couldn't take it. And so I called the bartender over and I meant to ask if he could put a little more tonic in the gin and tonic, but I accidentally said gin <laughs> and the look on his face was like, yeah, sure. Yeah, I can do that. So then he just like grabs this bottle of gin and that's when it hit me like, 
wait, did I just say gin? I did. I just said gin. And so he topped it off with gin, and then I had, like, two sips of it, and I just paid for the drink and left it. I just can't imagine, like, his perspective on that. Like, why did that dummy just ask for more gin and then not drink it? What a jerk. But the gin and tonic actually is, I think, related to one of my favorite summer drinks, the Tom Collins. Super, mm. super close. You're looking at gin still, but instead of tonic, it's actually club soda and some lime juice and a little bit of simple. It's kind of, it's it's like an adult lemonade and it's amazing. It is super amazing. It's so way too easy to drink. It's the type of drink that you can make a batch of and then just invite people oh, over. absolutely. And nobody's going to turn it down. All of these things, they tend to be very refreshing drinks because a lot of them do have some type of carbonated beverage in them. It's, it's light, it's effervescent, it's not like overly heavy or dark or boozy like a, a martini or a Manhattan or an old fashioned or anything like that. And things like spritzes fall into this category. So like an Aperol spritz or a, a St. Germain cocktail. Aperol spritzes are absolutely fantastic, by the way. And in that, you're you're kind of splitting that mixing component with some type of sparkling wine. So it's like a Prosecco and a little bit of seltzer to top it off with that Aperol. Things like Bellini's or even like a French 75 could possibly fall into this category a little bit. Fantastic. Yeah, I think I think the whiskey highball is something that has seen its day and is making a resurgence in some areas and some places. Honestly, there are entire cocktail bars in Japan that are dedicated to the whiskey highball. That's like their yeah, thing. Yeah, they're super popular over there. Yeah, so... Maybe maybe we should take a, a page from their book, Phil. You're suggesting going to Japan? Maybe. I wouldn't say no. Okay. I wouldn't say no either. I've always wanted to go. What are you go. doing next week? Next week is like, well, I'm busy during the week, but the weekend I'm free. And I can get us to Japan. I think we can make this work. Might have to check a couple of things. Okay. We should do a live episode in Japan. <laughs> we should do a live episode every place that we travel. Okay. It's been a while. Because travel's back. It's been a while. I was going to say, it's been a while since I've actually traveled much. But I'm looking forward to, or having something planned. I don't know. So if we're going to rate and review the Whiskey Highball, I'm going to give it two and a half glass ceilings. Unless we're talking gin and tonic, five out of five, baby. Yeah, Phil, I think think, uh, maybe on the traditional Whiskey Highball, you just need to get the right whiskey in your glass. I think I, I might suggest something... Japanese, like a Japanese single malt of some sort. We, 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 we can talk about specifics later. And you can't go wrong with Tom Collins or an Aperol Spritz. It's true. And we'd also love to hear what your ratings are on the Whiskey Highball or the Tom Collins or the Aperol Spritz or everything else that we maybe just butchered. Or our show. Or our show. Yeah. Give us a rating on our show. Jump over to Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating. We'd love to hear from you. Send us some listener mail. I want to I want to make this a thing. Let's read some listener mail on the podcast. Send us an email at hello at dadskitchenco.com and tell us everything we got wrong and we'll, 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 it'll be water under the bridge. We'll just give you all the love even though you tell us everything that we got wrong. Oh, 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 o